Welcome to our January 28th edition of the Saturday Simulcast. Thank you to our sponsor, the Purdue Union Club Hotel, the Boiler Up Bar, the 811 Bistro. We appreciate all they do for us. And we will bring you our first segment, which is with myself, Brian Newbert, and Mike Carmen as we break down Purdue basketball. I am joined by the esteemed Mike Carmen and Brian Newbert. And I'm Alan Karpik, and we're looking at a Really important win, obviously, last night, uh, Purdue 75-70 win over Michigan to run its record to 20-1. and And Mike, uh, you were in the environment at Chrysler Arena last night. Uh, some Purdue fans there, but obviously a pretty raucous Michigan crowd, and, and Purdue just seemed to find a way to get <clears throat> to get it done at the right time and, and withstand a number of cra- – almost a crazy ending, but a huge win from Purdue, a lot of different contributors – uh, just your your analysis of what you saw. First of all, there were plenty of Purdue fans there last yeah. night uh, amongst the pink uh, yeah. for their for their cancer game. But you know, to me, the big from my perspective was just the bench yeah. and the production of those four guys. And they've you know for the most part this year they played well, but I don't think they've had the production in the Big Ten game that they had last night. And I think it was great to see Trey Kaufman Wren finally see the ball go through the hoop. I mean, I think he can be a vital piece down the stretch here in the second half of the Big Ten season to give Zach, you know, a few extra minutes on the bench, but also keep the production going there at the center position. And David Jenkins was, you know, was huge. The first, you know, 14 minutes in the first half and allowed Braden Smith to settle down after two fouls. And that's the thing about, you know, what the bench did. They got some, Purdue got in some foul trouble last night, but uh, they were able to get through it because of what, what the guys did. Uh, from the reserves. And then, uh, you know, Newman hits the free throws at the end, also had six rebounds. But, you know, Mason Gillis did what I think everybody expects him to do, and that's make every play that doesn't show up in the stat sheet. And he did that more and more uh, again last night. And this that group, I really think, you know, pushed Purdue to the victory, even though, you know, they got out to double-digit lead in the first half. Um, and maintained it, but I, I, those those four guys were a big reason why they were able to be in the position they were at the end of the game. You know, Brian, the context of this win obviously puts Purdue in. Uh, it's already was in the in the pole position, so to speak, uh, to to win the Big Ten championship. Uh, obviously, Sunday would be another big step for Purdue. But talk about just that, but also the fact of beating Michigan and Ann Arbor for the first time in five years and kind of maybe exercising to some extent, not that there were a lot of guys in this team that played there last year, but uh, you took care of business in a place that has always has been a challenge for Purdue, at least over the last five years. Yeah. Well, I think Michigan's been good. I think that's part of it, but yeah, no when question. you look at how the series has played out, you know, I, I kind of thought Purdue owed them one because, you know, <laughs> you kind of go back in this series and there's the game where, it's the first game after they lose Stefanovic to, to COVID a few years back. And then you go to the, the game where Trevion Williams gets like 36 and 20 up there. You lose in double overtime. That was a game Purdue could have won. Uh, you know, last year Michigan gets COVID and that, that, that breaks their schedule in a way where they get Purdue right at the tail end of this grueling Big Ten schedule stretch. And, you know, Purdue, that's the one game Purdue didn't even show up for last year. Um so Purdue kind of owed them one. So for them to get Michigan without Jet Howard, and I don't know what kind of difference he would have made because it's not like Kobe, it's not like Kobe Bufkin wasn't a problem for Purdue yeah. at times. 
no doubt. Because that's an, another uh, pro-level shot maker and and an athlete. Um, but I thought Purdue kind of owed them one. And, uh, you know, for Purdue to keep winning on the road, you know, for Purdue to keep winning, period, is, is a big yeah. deal. But for Purdue to uh, keep winning on the road is just – that's how you win Big Ten titles. Uh, you win Big Ten titles by winning games on the road and by not no-showing some random game um, – away from your home floor on a Wednesday night on BTN at nine o'clock, you know, uh, not losing to Nebraska or Minnesota, things like that. You can split the Michigan States and Wisconsin's of the world. But when you, when you start just no showing road games here and there, uh, that's when um, you can lose a big Ten title before you can win one. If that makes any sense. I can't remember what the other part of your question was. I'm not sure what it was either. So, Mike, can you help us out? No, no, I think you answered the con- the context also of the of the Big Ten race. I mean, yeah, it's, it's you're in good, you're in damn good shape if you're Purdue. Yeah, I mean, you can't do a whole lot better than nine and one unbeaten on the road. Um, you know, if you can get Sunday, get to ten and one at the turn, you've pinned two losses on Michigan State. You've pinned a loss on Michigan. You've uh, pinned a loss on Maryland. You've, you've pinned losses on, on a lot of your, on a lot of your contenders. Now you, you can't take anything for granted because you've still got Indiana twice. You've still got, um, you still go got, got Illinois once. You still got Iowa. You still got to go to Maryland. It's not like it gets easier in, in the back end. Um, but you would have some margin for everything. You know, you can afford to lose a game here and there. Um, that's not what you want to do, but, you would have some margin for error. And, uh, you know, the possibility still exists that Purdue could use some margin for error at some point because this has just been this kind of magic carpet ride of a season here where no one in their wildest dreams would have ever thought Purdue would be 20, would be 20 and one after 21 games. And, but everything about what Purdue has done so far, and this was the main point I took away from the Minnesota game, everything they've done this year speaks to consistency. I don't think they're going to beat themselves. I think they're very unlikely to just not show up for a game. Um, I don't think they're going to phone any in. I think whoever beats Purdue the rest of the way is going to have to beat them. I don't think Purdue's going to beat itself the way last year's team beat itself way too often. You know, Mike, you stood next to David Jenkins Jr. after his, I I think it's best performance as a Boilermaker. I don't think that's probably not arguably, certainly his most important. And, you know, Braden Smith still – May not have been quite as good last night, but still did some really good things. But just how much does that mean, you know, to have David Jenkins and just maybe talking to him and what uh, what was going through his mind of really making a major, major contribution in a game that uh, Purdue needed everything he brought to the table yesterday? Well, I think this goes back to the theme of, of these guys where they they are ready when they come off the bench. Now, the production doesn't always follow when they come off the bench, but they they appear to be ready. And when... You know, Matt Painter has talked about this a lot. When when guys get extended minutes that come off the bench for whatever reason, you know, Trey, Trey Kaufman or David Jenkins or Brandon Newman or Mason Gillis, they're better. And they just they get in a rhythm and they're better. Now, that, that, that allows you to sit at Braden Smith when he has two fouls or allows you to, you know, to keep, keep somebody on the bench that you're going to need in the second half. And, you know, Braden did a, did a great job in the second half when he was in there, but I just think these guys are ready. And even though the ball hasn't gone in the basket for Trey Kaufman, you know, most of the big 10 season, 
you know, went in the basket at the right time last night? And what kind of springboard can that be right. for, for him? Because, you know, you start, you start looking at what you can, you know, Zach is going to give you a pretty consistent 20 and 10 game every time. But if you can add five to eight more points to that position and maybe five rebounds to that position, that this really enhances uh, their game and enhances Purdue's games and it opens up a lot of things. But, the, you know, those bench players have been ready all year. You know, and finally they got the, the production to go with it last night. Yeah. Ryan, you've been watching Trey Kaufman Ren for, for for what seems like years. You know, obviously his game has oh, it changed. It doesn't seem like years. It's been years. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and he certainly brings that to the table of being an inside, uh, a, a post presence, which is maybe not what he always was, but he is now. I mean, talk about that development and what, and what you see for him, at, not only in his role this year, but as he continues to develop. I mean, we expect to see more of some other things from him as, as uh, time goes on, or what do you think? Well, I think he's going to be really good. I think he's in a transitional phase as a player. Like the first time I saw him, he was a, he was a high school sophomore. He right. he was Vince Edwards. He was that that kind of wiry, sort of inside out player. Um, and over time, he's just gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. He started playing with an edge to him from a physical perspective. I think during his redshirt year, he was focused on getting bigger and stronger. And I don't want to say he took it too far, but I think he became big and strong. He didn't get bigger and stronger. Now he still has to continue on with that he's going to have to get quicker over time he's going to have to get better defensively he's going to want to become a more consistent perimeter shooter to be an inside outside guy but I think that game last night was the payout for his work ethic too the one thing that really stands out about that kid is he works like crazy and you know he's been struggling in Big Ten play we've all seen him around the arena he he walked in the back of one of my videos after one of those games <laughs> Uh, coming back into the arena to put in more work after he uh, had struggled that day. And he just kind of had this coming. And I think that was a huge part of the math of this game. When you look at when Edie and Hunter Dickinson were out of the game, Purdue's guy came in and produced offensively at, at an Edie-like level. He was 4-4 four four for, for eight points, could have had nine points if he finished off one of the end ones. I think there was only one turnover, if I recall correctly, on, on a bad screen. Meanwhile, Michigan's uh, backup center comes in, um, gets called for a technical foul that really was the start of Purdue's run. Yeah. Didn't give them a whole lot else. I think Juwan Howard's not helping his team by playing Terrace Reed and Hunter Dickinson together. I think that kind of allowed uh, Purdue to kind of do that one-man zone thing with Zach Geedy. Whether or not that was a net positive for Purdue, I don't know. But I think for as much as we talked about the battle of the two premier big men uh, in this game. It was the backups that really loomed yeah. large in this, and Purdue won that, uh, you know, by a wide margin. And that's because of Trey Kaufman ran. Mike Sunday's game, uh, Michigan State comes calling. Uh, you know, Indiana is 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 Purdue's a rival, but Michigan State may be a a one, so to speak. Uh, and yet Tom Izzo much has been documented and talked about his uh, call out to the officiating after the Michigan State-Purdue game a couple of weeks ago. Michigan State hung on. They need the signature win, though I think they're probably pretty safe to get in the NCAA tournament if they continue to play kind of at the level they're at. But 
what pitfalls do you see on Sunday in front of what will be a raucous environment? What is it, 15,000 uh, white shirts, uh, throwback jerseys on down the line? I mean, it's going to be a going to be a big time environment in Mackey. Well, I mean, you know, that was a very close game a couple of weeks ago in East Lansing, and it easily could have gone to Michigan State, but you know, Purdue made the plays down the stretch, so. What does Michigan State change in how they defend Edie? You know, they are they are they going to double him at some point to give themselves a better chance, or are they just going to stay stubborn and and play one on one and give up twos and hope not to give up threes uh, in that situation? I, I just, I mean, I thought Zach could have had forty Thursday night if they kept going to him because as much as Hunter Dickinson was body checking him down low. I mean, Zach was in a rhythm, especially going to his left hand. And then yeah. if, if, if he can get that going again, then, you know, he's unstoppable uh, against anybody in the Big Ten. But, you know, Purdue's got to figure out to cool off Tyson Walker, who seems to have a flair for scoring a lot against Purdue. So they've got to keep him in check. And, you know, then they've, you know, they've still – they're going to have to rebound well again because of what, you know, that's, that's what Michigan state does really well. And you're going to still have to get some production off the bench. I mean, you just, it probably won't be at the same level, but that's part of the consistency that you want to see from this team. Now in the second half of the big 10 season, your starter is going to give you what they give you, but what are you going to get from the guys off the bench? And if they can just maintain a level of production and, uh, and not hurt not lose leads, but build them and maintain them. So when the the starters get back, then, um, you know, that, that'll be, that'll be a positive, but as much as you talk about the bench, you know, Fletcher Laurier, once again, in the second half Thursday night, uh, kind of stepped up. He's become a second half player, uh, for this team. And, uh, he's, as we all know, he's not phased by the moment, enjoys the moment. And I think this team does enjoy being yelled at, being screamed at, and what other words, other words, the fans <laughs> use against them. I think they enjoy that and they thrive in that. And I, I, I do think that 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 motivates them to a, a certain point. Yeah, no question. One change for for Michigan State, Brian, will be Malik Hall's return. He did return last night against or on, on Thursday night against Iowa and, and was impressive. He had an impressive dunk and was very mobile in the part. I didn't watch that entire game, but uh uh, what difference does that make, and and how do you see Sunday playing out for Purdue? Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, if Michigan State now can go to lineups where they have Malik Hall and Joey Hauser as their four and their five. You're not going to be able to guard Zach Eady that way, but they'd have to they'd have to do something creative in that regard. Um, that way, you'd have two perimeter guys out there and. What yeah. you see against Purdue is you see people really trying to isolate Edie in space to either drive past him or shoot over him. Uh, he's doing a much better job with that than I think anybody that size can be reasonably expected to, to do. But it's still the realities of being 7'4", 290 pounds or whatever he is. Um, so Michigan State's ability to play small ball in that regard might be enhanced a little bit. But, uh, you know, I would look for them to go back to what they – what kind of worked for them in East Lansing. They were running Caleb first and Mason Gillis off, off a lot of off-ball screens and getting Joey Hauser to the basket, getting Joey Hauser jump shots. I would expect that to be a big part of what they do. Now, from a defensive perspective, what they do, I don't know 
Izzo tends to do things the same way um, and continues to go one-on-one in the post and ask an awful lot of, of not only his center, but of the officials. And, you know, obviously he started to started to lobby publicly uh, right after that Purdue game, um, knowing full well he was going to play Purdue again in two weeks. And uh, you just hope for Purdue's sake and for the sake of, you know, the integrity of college basketball that, refs aren't swayed by that. I thought that first foul on Edie last night was, was insane, was classic. We just called Hunter Dickinson for a foul. This has yeah. to be even um, right. because he didn't impede his progress one bit um, on that end one. Um, so you just hope, you know, once again, for the sake of the integrity of big 10 basketball, people don't say, Oh, well, after the last game, um, you know, Tom Izzo was upset that Zach Eady didn't get called for fouls, so we're going to give Zach Eady three fouls today. Um, I mean, that that's just kind of the – I mean, the one thing about refs is that they are human beings too, and, you know, they do – they probably have the same urge we do to shut our critics up, you know. And, uh, it's a full-time um, job. <laughs> that's not supposed to happen to you necessarily on your home floor, but you do kind of worry that um, – you know, Edie might be uh, might get a call or two that haven't gone against him. Start going his going, start going against him. Starting starting with this game tomorrow. Uh, it, it's just a matter of. I thought Painter's comment uh, after the game was really good about um, how when when Terrace Reed got called for the technical that the refs would even it up real quick. So keep your mouth <laughs> shut. And that's that that might be kind of the story of what I'm talking about here is where Purdue just has to be extra careful because they might be looking to call something at times. Yeah, no doubt. That's going to be fine. All right. Landscape of the big 10, Mike, we talked a little bit about this before we started this segment. It's not over yet, but uh, it still seems like a lot of mishmash between teams number two through 12, maybe in the league, there's going to be some teams are going to lose games. I I understand Northwestern and Rutgers as it stands uh, on Friday or or at, three losses. Rutgers is a rough road to hoe. Everybody's got a rough road to hoe in the Big Ten, but uh, what do you see? Do you see anybody emerging? Is it Indiana that's going to emerge out of this group? Uh, How do you see that? I don't know if it'll be Indiana, but probably Indiana based on needy, or they have two games against Purdue, probably is in the best position to potentially catch Purdue, or at least draw even with them, hoping that Purdue will you know, lose at Maryland or, you know, somewhere else along the line in the month of February. Uh, and, and Indiana would need to beat Purdue twice, I think, to have a chance. But they – right now they would be the team. You know, I we all question whether Northwestern can keep up what it's doing. Um, and we won't know that answer until the end, end of the season or we won't be convinced of that answer until yeah. uh, the end of the season. Rutgers doesn't appear to be have the offense to go on a – an eight or nine game winning streak. Um, so, I mean, this is Purdue's championship to lose right now and they can absorb a loss and still win. Um, my only kind of concern regarding the big 10 is just them staying sharp as you get through this thing. Cause they would have, they keep winning. They could clinch this thing in the middle of February. I mean, if chaos really goes, goes through the, the, the middle part of the league. Um, I mean, they could, they could wrap this thing up and, you know, with four games to go, five games to go, depending on on what happens, and you just want to stay sharp uh, after that. But 
Um, yeah, I think a win Sunday, uh, if it doesn't convince you Purdue's going to win the league, it, it will that that will that will win the league for you and th- then at that point i think as you get through february you're looking at bigger goals and bigger bigger picture things as far as where you want to be uh when the ncaa tournament starts the uh, big 10 championship is still important to a program like purdue but there's bigger things ahead for this team and um and as brian has mentioned throughout the year it's you just want to see them stay consistent um with their play with their performance and kind of let things play out from there yeah, Brian, you know, anything to add to that? Because you, you talked about, you know, basically you beat Michigan State and Michigan. Uh, it's really going to be hard for anybody to catch Purdue, especially how Purdue's playing. Is that uh, still pretty much the, the way you look at things? Yeah, I think that, uh, uh, you know, Purdue has, has done just enough to stay above the fray. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it, does, it does bear mentioning that the difference between uh, you know, Purdue being nine and one in the Big Ten right now, and Purdue being part of that that twelve team quagmire is yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fletcher Lawyers three at Ohio State, uh, Zach Eady's game winner at Michigan State, and uh, overtime at Nebraska. Now that being said, Rutgers obviously that comes down to a game winner too, but Purdue's ability to be four and one in really close games um, is a pretty narrow difference between them and. and everybody else in that league. No one in that middle has really emerged as that threat to Purdue. So it's, it's that old line from the Godfather that, you know, our true enemy is yet to reveal itself, himself, itself, themselves, whatever <laughs> word it was. She's there, um, yeah. <laughs> I heard you mention Indiana before. I don't know if you watched the Minnesota game, but oh, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. I watched that, it, but I, that was the first like quad three loss that ever came out of a win. Uh, <laughs> but, um, who else in the Big Ten can can win three games in a row, let alone nine? <laughs> you know, it's well. I it's, only say everybody's Indiana. Everybody's even. Everybody's yeah, I, even. And I only Purdue's say won- yeah. No, I say I only say Indiana because they get to play Purdue twice. Yeah, and and that's nobody else gets. I mean, Northwest. Uh, I guess does Northwestern play Purdue twice? I, I can't remember. Just once. Uh, just once. But you know, Indiana has the best position because they can yeah. they can chop two games off that lead, but then but then they have to take care of business in other games. Yeah, uh, I was just just kind of using them as an example of yeah. right. Who else in the Big Ten is good? I mean, yeah. Purdue's number one in the country. Nobody else is ranked. Not that that's scripture by any means. Um, not that that's a stone tablet, but who else is good? Who else can be consistent? Um, I don't yeah. know. You know, uh, Michigan State gets Malik Hall back yesterday and might have lost that game at home, at home to Iowa yesterday if Iowa could throw a pass to a, a shooter's torso and not yeah. his feet. Uh, yeah to win the game. Um, I don't know. Uh, I have no idea who else is good. I have no idea who, who the threat to Purdue would be uh, as of this moment. Yeah. Good question. Illinois also, we didn't mention them, but they, you know, they lose to Indiana at home, you know, who the heck knows. Uh, uh, I'll take the field if we have to say, if Purdue going to run the, run the table, but, <laughs> but still uh, you got some cushion and likely more cushion to come. Uh, as this, as teams two through thirteen or two for, two through twelve beat up on each other uh, through the rest of this uh, conference schedule. All right, guys, so we appreciate uh, all your wonderful 
clairvoyance of how this is all going to play out here in the next uh, period of time. And uh, we'll look forward to more wisdom here down the road after uh, Purdue Michigan State uh, on Sunday, that game 12-15 in Mackey. Thanks, Brian and Mike. And now we'll bring in Tom Deanhart to talk some football, busy weekend of recruiting, a lot to get caught up on. We are joined by Tom Deanhart, Alan Carpet here for Golden Black Live and uh, much as much men's basketball has uh, captured the imagination of a lot of folks, a lot going on in the world of football behind the scenes, uh, roster management, recruiting, all this, and Tom done a great job of being on top of that. Big weekend uh, for Purdue this weekend with Ryan Walters and company for visits, et cetera. Just to bring us up to date on uh, what's what's going on from your perspective and kind of your vibe you're, you're hearing as you talk to some of these guys uh, uh, in the recruiting and uh, portal process. Yeah, I'm just trying to put the, the finishing touches on this recruiting class. February 1st is Wednesday is the second signing period. Um, I suspect maybe – Upwards of five players could sign, and uh, maybe maybe a couple more. We'll have to wait and see. And uh, yeah, big weekend. This is the final weekend for visits. Uh, several guys are on campus, and uh, 2023 guys are the ones uh, of most interest. Obviously, uh, the guys who are going to be enrolling next year. So yeah, we'll see how it works out. Uh, I know they had. Um, come up a little early this week uh Kendrick Gilbert the big defensive tackle from from Cathedral um slated to come in for a couple of days and then I think he was going to go down to Kentucky for a couple of days for an official unofficial visit there and uh then of course hopefully Purdue hopes he signs with them on Wednesday and from everything I hear you know Purdue's still uh, the team to beat and uh I think they expect him to sign with them but as you know, these things are never a done deal until you get a kid's signature. Yeah, that would be a big get, obviously, just because they put so much into him, even in the old the old staff did, and to be able to retain him kind of be a big thing in terms of trying to make a mark in, this, in the state of Indiana, don't you think? Yeah, they've done a good job getting out to a lot of high schools, not just in Indiana, but uh, obviously across the Midwest, down the east, up and down the eastern seaboard into Texas across the southeast a lot of offers have gone out this month anybody who follows these coaches on social media can see their activity and they've all seen the players tweet out offers these are 2024 guys for the most part getting all these offers obviously seniors to be in high school but again like i said they're trying to fill out this 2023 class alan yeah you know they signed 12 players in december and uh by my count, and according to the scholarship distribution chart on our website that I have pinned to the top of the message board, and I think it's pretty accurate, they're tight right now on scholarships. I believe I have them down for 81 of 85 being accounted for. So I think, you know, we're going to see more change throughout the spring here, especially after spring football. I imagine some players are going to leave after spring football. Uh, Purdue, I'm told, is going to be very active in the portal. Uh, in May when it opens back up from May 1st to the 15th. So 
right now, again, they're just trying to get the, this class sealed up, this high school class sealed up. Like I said, 12 signed in December. I think five could sign on Wednesday, maybe a couple more. The names I've got, if they mean anything to people, again, I mentioned Kendrick Gilbert. Yeah. George George Barron, the tight end from, from Mount Vernon, an in-state kid. Uh, they got a commitment from the offensive tackle from the junior college, Isaiah Walker. I, I think um, – they're going to get the the receiver cornerback from Festus, Missouri, Armand Branch. And I think they're going to get the big offensive tackle from Orlando, Christas and St. John. Um, Branch is visiting this weekend. I'm pretty sure he's going to commit. And I think St. John will too, or St. Gene. He, he visited last weekend. He's not taking any visits this weekend, so I think that bodes well for Purdue. And there's a couple other guys coming in this weekend who are 2023 guys I think they have a good shot at. A wide receiver, cornerback from Orlando, Derek Rogers, and a sort of an athlete from from Nitro or Hurricane West Virginia, Mondrell Dean. So maybe the, maybe there'll be seven guys, Alan, sign on Wednesday. And I do know there's a cornerback, there's a transfer portal cornerback that's visiting this weekend too. I have not been able to pin down a name, but I was told that's the case too. And Alan, to me, cornerback is Purdue's biggest need in the portal. Yeah, interesting, because you've certainly talked about that really from the get-go on that. Because, you know, Purdue's, you know, a lot of attrition there, but that's a position that, especially in a defense with Ryan Walters, at least what we saw at Illinois, an extra premium on that. You need to have playmakers at that position if you want to be able to do – you have to do that in football, but you really want to if you're in Ryan Walters' defense. Is, Is that the way you look at that as well? Yeah, I think most defenses, you got to have guys who cover. You know, you look at the players NFL teams always value, right? Uh, Quarterbacks, yeah, left offensive tackles, guys who can rush the passer, and cornerbacks. Those are probably the most valuable positions on every football team at every level. And, uh, again, uh, you know, they have Jamari Brown coming back for a sixth year. But after that, Alan, cover's pretty bare. I mean, I'm I'm not not sure if Brandon Calloway or – Javon Grigsby are a real starting caliber Big Ten cornerbacks. They're, they're, they're back. They have the freshman Jordan Buchanan. I, I don't think he's really going to be ready. So I think they need at least two starting caliber cornerbacks out of the portal. So that's going to be a position to watch. And I think also wide receiver. That To me, that's the second biggest position of need. That, and that may sound funny when you think, well, heck, Purdue's got yeah. Sheffield, Rice, Burks, Thompson, Tracy all coming back. I think there's some thought of Tyrone Tracy moving to running back full-time. And I, I just – nothing against those guys, Alan. I, I think most would agree. I, I'm not sure if there are any of those guys is a real a real alpha, number one, take the top off a defense type of a receiver. And I think Purdue needs a couple really dynamic, big-time receivers to stretch defenses to really make this offense go. You know, Wednesday will be our second time, at least from a public standpoint, of being in hearing from Ryan Walters. You know, again, the guy's been extremely busy since his since his day in the sun and his initial press conference and being announced at Purdue. Just your sense of him. Uh, and again, I, it's maybe a little bit of an unfair question because you haven't had a chance to be face to face with him a great deal, but you certainly are seeing how he's working and what he's what he's prioritizing. Uh, a, what do you expect to see on Wednesday, but also just the chance to be in front of him? What what uh, what do you hope to glean from him? Well, I mean, 
he's a he's very personable. You know, he's young, he's vibrant, he's very engaging, and he can connect to anybody and everybody. I think we've already seen glimpses of that. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, built an interesting staff, a very young staff. We talked about that last week. And, um, yeah. you know, this last week, too, uh, um, Noah Joseph was hired. Right. Um, he's going to be Purdue's general manager. And Noah Joseph, uh, I think, is going to be a very integral part of this program, a real behind-the-scenes guy who's got his hand in recruiting the portal and high school recruiting, helping them organize all that. And he's going to be, I think, involved with NIL as well. And uh, just a general operations guy, chief operating officer, if you will. Think of him as, as Ryan Walter's right-hand man. Yeah. And Noah Joseph came from Missouri where he was an analyst for Eli Drinkwitz the last couple of years. Um, he's been an on-field coach. He was a co-defensive coordinator at Rutgers with Chris Ash. He's coached at North Texas. Um, just a good guy. And I think he's going to be real valuable to helping Ryan Walters, you know, keep this program on, on track. And he's going to have, a, I think, his hand in every aspect of, of, of this program, much like an NFL general manager. Yeah, kind of the way things are going, obviously, in the in the world of college football, uh, not only from a, a personnel standpoint, but NIL, et cetera. It's just uh, the way it is. All right, Ryan Walters, uh, as we understand it, will be announced to uh, kind of his public coming out uh, in Mackey Arena on, on Sunday. And one would expect this Purdue takes on Michigan State in what will be a, a obviously a sellout environment for the nation's number one ranked team. Just his personality, you know, you have a sense for the fan base of uh, certainly there's some trepidation anytime you have a uh, have a change in coach. But it uh, seems to me that uh, the fan base on, on the front end is uh, uh, certainly intrigued about what they're going to see. And I think uh, he's got a chance to to kind of win the he's won the press conference, but uh, maybe also uh, win the fan base early on with uh, with his uh, work ethic and and maybe what he's trying to get done. What's your sense? Yeah, I mean, he's probably going to come out and wave. I, I don't know if he's going to talk or anything, but I'm sure it's going to be thunderous applause. And yeah, okay. The, the, the honeymoon is going to run right up to September 2nd, Alan. Yeah. Uh, when they kick off against Fresno State. So uh, that that's how it should be, right? Uh, every coach wants to get off to a good start, and um, you need all the help you can get. You want everybody behind you. It's easy to get behind uh, your new head coach wherever you're at. And uh, – you know, the early returns have, have been positive. Again, it's a small sample size, but, you know, like I said, you, you're, you're going you're gonna to be judged from, from September till November. Yep. And uh, we'll, we'll see. That, that, that's where the intrigue begins to drip. And he's got his challenges, Alan. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. There's roster deficiencies that still need to be addressed. The schedule has got a lot of heavy lifting. I talked about Fresno State, Alan. When you get a chance, look what Fresno State did last year. You got a yeah. coach, too. You got Fresno State, you got Syracuse and Virginia Tech. Those are your non-conference games. Michigan and Ohio State are on the schedule this year. I think four of the first five games are at home, which is going to, it's going to be nice. But still, um, like I said, uh, there's there's a lot of uh, intrigue, and I, I'm really fascinated to see how, how this thing unfolds. Uh, if he can cobble together a bowl team, I know I'm getting way ahead of myself here. But uh, that, that's what we do in the media. We, we look around yeah. four or five corners at once and uh, try to make projections. And 
can he get Purdue back to a bowl game? Um, if he could do that in year one, Alan, that would be very impressive. Maybe I'm underrating things. Um, but again, it's going to be fun to watch his staff work. Let's see how the staff looks on game days, how they manage a game. And let's see how they develop this quarterback, Hudson Card, the new face of the program, too. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, that's going to be a yeah, that's part, that's why it's interesting and why it's fun to to see what's going to happen because the the slate uh, has kind of been wiped clean in a lot of ways uh, with this new group and uh, and and there is the opportunity for a lot of energy, but boy, that's a tough schedule as you as you mentioned. Um, but we'll look forward to more of your coverage uh, as we look at uh, football recruiting in the end National Signing Day, which will be Wednesday, February 1st. We expect a press conference that afternoon. Uh, there'll be more of that uh, as we move forward. So, Tom, thanks again for everything. And we will be back in a couple minutes, joined by Mike Carmen and Brian Newbert. We'll talk uh, some Purdue men's basketball after the Boilermakers win on Thursday night at Michigan and uh, uh, what will be a, as Tom already outlined too, not only Ryan Walter's appearance, but it will be a big night in Mackey arena, big afternoon, I should say on Sunday afternoons. Thanks so much, Tom. And I also want to thank Mike Carmen and Brian Newbert. And of course the good folks at the union club hotel, the boiler up bar, 811 bistro busy weekend this weekend with uh, the Sunday's basketball game. We appreciate all they do for us at goldenblack.com. Okay, stay tuned next week. We'll have more uh, talk about leading into uh, the Purdue-Indiana game and much more on our next Saturday simulcast. Have a great week, everybody.